first, Proverbs 21, I chose verse 30. There is no wisdom, no insight, no plan that can succeed against the Lord. So today, you're here for the very first message in a new series that we're going to start here that I'm calling The End. This is the beginning of the end. So, I mean, today you could say you're here for the beginning. Okay, never mind. Beginning of the end. Come on, a play on words. Okay, it's, the jokes are going to get better, I promise. At least my daughter will laugh because that's a genetic requirement. You daughters have to laugh at your dad's <laughs> stupid jokes. In the next few weeks, we're going to talk about a topic that I think a lot of people talk about um, from time to time. You know, what's going to happen? Is there going to be an end of the world? Are we living in the end times? And if you are someone who follows carefully the Mayan calendar, you will know that the world ended last December 21st, <laughs> right? But if you back the clock up a little bit before this, uh, before today, you know, um, there was an awful lot on, in the media. It was in all of the news sources. And you know, I don't know if, they, if you get the History Channel or Discovery Channel. I mean, they were constantly stories about the end of the world coming in December. A lot, a lot of attention was made to that. And um, there are all kinds of theories out there about the world ending. You hear about all kinds of crazy things. Some people think that the world is going to end with an apocalyptic. Okay, you try saying that. (laughs) Apocalyptic flood. Some people believe that there's going to be a big old flood. Other people think that maybe a planet's going to come in and smack the earth. That'd be kind of cool to watch <laughs> from somewhere else. Um, some people believe we're going to be, you know, cooked by the heat of the sun as it expands or that aliens are going to come in and take over the world. I particularly agree with a small but reputable group of people that the world is going to be overtaken by cats who evolve with thumbs and come back to make us pay a price for how we've treated them. <laughs> Not really. Um, interestingly enough, though, the world did not end last December 21st, and uh, yet there was a whole lot of people who took that whole thing really, really seriously. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. I, I, I think it's the scripture, and I want to give you this scripture right now. These are the words of Jesus from Matthew 24, 36. He said, no one, everybody say, no one. No one. Okay. No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. So every time um, that I hear someone in the media saying, here's the date the world will end, I know for a fact that's not going to be the day. (laughs) It will not end that day, not even by coincidence, because nobody ever knows that. And... um, that, that something else is that when you hear somebody make that kind of prediction, it's telling you something about whether or not you ought to follow the source of that kind of a prediction, right? Because they're, they're wrong. And uh, you'll know that, that, that what has caused them to give that date was not revealed to them by the Spirit of the living God. It came from somewhere else. It came from somewhere else. There are lots of notable examples of very public figures who have made predictions I'll give you just a couple of them. There's a guy named Charles Taze Russell. You would know him as the founder, maybe, of the Jehovah's Witnesses. And he said that God would return on a date in 1874. After he didn't show up, he changed his mind and said, yes, he did show up, but he was invisible. 
Then he changed his mind again. I don't, I don't, sorry not to be mocking. I'm just telling you what he said. He said uh, that he was going to come in 1914. Then he, the, the, the Jehovah's Witnesses picked other dates, 1975, 1984. I don't know where they are right now, but they can keep picking dates. Um, they're not hearing this from the, word of God, from the Spirit of God. There's another fellow named Herbert W. Armstrong. You may have heard of the Worldwide Church of God. His first predicted date was 1936 then 1943, then 1972, and the, the predictions seem to continue. There's a, there's a notable psychic named Jean Dixon. Um, you have to be a little bit older to remember her. I, I don't remember her. I've only heard about her because I'm so young. Um, <laughs> but she said February 4th, 1962. That date came and went. I think she changed her prediction to a date now in the year 2020. I don't know if she's even still alive. I, I, I don't know. There's another guy named Jim Jones. You may have heard of him. He uh, led something called the People's Temple, and uh, it was a cult that ended up in... Um, in uh, South America, and quite a quite a scandal in nineteen in nineteen sixty seven. He he made a prediction that God would return, and um, he's also noted noted for the phrase you know drink the Kool Aid. I don't drink the Kool Aid. Well, that's a reference to a group of people who committed mass suicide by drinking cyanide laced Kool Aid because they were following someone who was speaking in behalf of God about when the world would end and obviously shouldn't have been followed. We're going to start today instead, as we talk about the end of the world, I want to start by building a foundation in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And you, your reaction to this topic might be that, you know, I'm not really a Christian or I'm not really a Bible person. I, I'm not religious. I don't really go to church much. And so, so some of what I say to you today, you might want to put this in the category of, you know, it's kind of weird. Yeah, it is. What I'm going to talk about today is not everyday occurrences. In fact, it's very, very rare. There's only going to happen once in all of creation. And from that viewpoint, this is kind of weird stuff we're going to talk about. Um, so I, I agree. Yet, so much of the Word of God is prophetic, predictive of the future. An awful lot of us in there. In fact, some, I would say, prophetically inclined students of the Word say that more than 20% of the Bible either is directly or in, indirectly related to prophecies, predictions of things that, that are going to happen. And so, yeah, that seems to us to be improbable and maybe even weird, and that's fine. Now, maybe you're already aware of some Old Testament prophecies um, that have come to pass, but you never thought about it in those terms. For, for example, there's an Old Testament prophecy that said that Jesus would come and he'd be born of a virgin. So now we look at that and we celebrate it every year at Christmas time. And we look backwards. So there's an awful lot of prof prophetic in the Old Testament that maybe you have never thought through. But yeah, it really was something that was prophetic. And now we look back. And I, I know this. I think there are a lot of skeptical people who look at prophecies and say, you know, that's kind of weird. But, you know, I don't know. You know, whether they believe in Jesus or not, they got to admit the fact that he did come. He's an actual historical person. That's not in dispute. And it was predicted that he would come. And there are many skeptics who get converted. They, they, be, they become transformed because of the accuracy of some of the things that were predicted in prophecy. I think um, it's interesting if you do a statistical analysis of the, of the prophetic in the Word of God. There are five times as many prophecies, five times as many about Jesus' second coming as there were about his first. And there were a lot about the first coming. 
There are five times as many as that about his second coming. And so uh, I'm gonna, we're going to explore that a little bit today. And there are, I will just say up front, there are, there are a lot of different interpretations about the material we're going to cover. Um, my, my viewpoint is what I will share with you today, and my viewpoint happens to be, I think, where most um, Bible scholars would probably come down on these topics, but I just want to say there are other people who feel a little bit differently about some of these things, um, and so I'm going to share with you what I believe, and I'm going to stick as close as I can to what Scripture says, and, uh, and so we'll, we'll, we'll go on that together. So here's your responsibility in this process, and I would say this to you about any time anyone stands in front of you and, 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 and wants to teach from the Word of God. Here's your responsibility, and that's Acts 17, 11. This is talking about the Bereans who were being taught about the word of God, and, and here's what Scripture says. For they received the message with great eagerness and examined the Scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. The concept is this. It's up to you to verify what you hear from someone who teaches you about the word of God. Now, I think you're in a place where you can trust that the person's teaching is a student and loves the Lord and loves the word of God. And um, so I don't want to toot my horn and say that to you, but it's your responsibility, even so, to be enough of a student of the word of God that when you hear something that is counterfeit or doesn't, doesn't land in your soul to be, in, be consistent with the character of God as you understand him through scripture, that's the time to, to, uh, to really, really buckle down and study it out and find out for yourself. So, um, so this week I'm going to lay a foundation. Next week I'm going to talk about what happens after Jesus returns according to scripture. I'm going to talk about you know, where do Christians go and what's heaven, what heaven's like and how are we going to be judged versus non-Christians. I'm going to talk those things through and we'll, and we'll look at heaven and eternity. And then in the third week, of this little series, I'm gonna, we're going to do a quick survey of the book of Revelation. Now, the, the book is way too involved to try to teach in a week, but we're going to, so we'll, t- we'll, we'll hit some highlights um, that deal with end times. So today I want to start in Thessalonians, and here's the context of what we're going to study. Now, these people were, um, it was first century, and these Christians were convinced that Jesus could return at any moment. And so they had some questions, you know, any moment, that, you know, Tuesday night, this Wednesday, Jesus could return. I mean, they really believed and they weren't sure. So they're trying to sort this out. And uh, so they had some questions and they were like, kind of maybe even freaking out a little bit because they were wondering about their relatives, wondering about their loved ones, believers in Jesus who had already died. And they wanted to know what's going to happen when he comes back if they're already in the grave. Are they going to miss out? What's, what's going to happen here? And so Paul is writing in 1 Thessalonians 4, and he's going to explain to them, and so we'll pick it up there in in, uh, verse 13, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe, so here's the essence of Christianity coming up, we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other, each other with these words. And that's what I want to do here today. I want to encourage you with this truth. 
I, I think there are three reasons that we as Christians have hope about the end days. And the first reason to, to, study, and to, 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 to study the good news is this. Number one, the return. Christ is coming again. He is coming again. That's worth hearing yourself say aloud. Christ is coming again. Wow. It feels good to have that come out of you. It's just really good. That's, that's really good. In fact, Jesus talked about this um, in John 14, verse 3, and he said this. He said, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. Jesus said, I'll be back. <laughs> now, I don't know if he actually said it like that. <laughs> he could have. And those of you that are saying that's sacrilegious to make him sound like Arnold Schwarzenegger, you just need to lighten up, okay? <laughs> because you don't know. You don't know. He might have, you know, he might have had some cool sunglasses, slipped them on, and said, I'll be back. Don't know. I don't think so. Don't make doctrine out of that. Lighten up, okay? So in these very early days, these people were pretty excited about the return of Jesus, and they actually had a greeting, a greeting that they would share with each other. They would grab hands, and with faith, they would look into the eyes of another person, and they would say, Maranatha! They would say the word Maranatha. And what that means is, our Lord is coming back. He's coming back. And there was this deep sense of anticipation and, uh, you know, this Maranatha, he's coming back. And we should be anticipating it. You and I should be anticipating that the Lord is coming back. We had some really crummy news in our nation last Monday. But Jesus is coming back. He is. I've got to be careful here because I'm going to get ramped up too soon. And I have to say, you know, I, 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 I mean, I, in fact, there is, a, there is a reward for those who really eagerly anticipate the return of the Lord. There's a, 2 Timothy 4 says, talks about a reward, a crown, specifically for those kinds of people. The problem is, I think that most of us won't get that crown because people are so in love with this world that we don't always long for the return of Christ. I mean, I, I'm not judging you. I'm telling you, that's where I've been. I've been there. I mean, things, you know, when, when things are going really well, when things are at the beginning of something good and new, you know, it's, we don't always long for the return of Christ. I, I, I look back to Lisa and, you know, when we were first married, and um, so it's been quite a while ago. What, what are we, 37 in years, 37 and change, a long time ago. And we were starting this new, cool part of our life. Wow, I got this wonderful, cool woman I'm married to, and we don't have any kids yet, and I want to have children, and I want to do these things. And, and a preacher stood up and said, hey, Jesus is coming back, and all this is going to be done with, and it's going to be a whole different deal. I wasn't sure I wanted that to happen. I mean, that's just transparent. I'm not proud of that. But I really wasn't so sure. I was thinking, yeah, okay, I want you to come back, Lord. Could you wait a little while? Because we'd like to have some kids, and I'd like to have a Corvette. <laughs> you laugh, but it's true. And there was this other part of me, too. You know, as a, as a relatively young Christian, it scared me a little bit, too. Because I thought, you know, we're talking here, the one who spoke creation into existence. We're talking about a holy God here. There aren't going to be any games. 
played. It's going to be a serious deal. And um, you really want to have the right things in your rearview mirror <laughs> when that moment comes because it'll be too late to go back and change things. And, uh, you know, as a new Christian, I wasn't completely um, at peace with the difference between salvation by grace and what do I have to do to be good enough, which I still struggle with sometimes. I bet you do too. I mean, I wasn't so, so sure that I was really going to make the cut, even though I'd opened my heart to the Lord. And I look back now and I realize that's, that's heaven trying to discourage me. But, you know, I didn't make my bed every day back then like I'm supposed to, which my mother would not be happy to hear. You know, I mean, I, I still don't make my bed every day like I'm supposed to because there's somebody in it when I get up. And... and, and <laughs> And I figure that's going to wash. That's going to be okay with the Lord. And then when I do get back to it, somebody else has already made it, so I don't get the chance anymore. I'm getting a chance tomorrow. (laughs) Maranatha, he's coming back before I have to make the bed. (laughs) So, but it's true. We, I I wasn't, I don't want to speak for Lisa, but I didn't want the Lord to come back. I was not longing for the return of Christ. And I think that we can get there sometimes, but he is coming back. And, and, and so here's what Paul says to them in f- verse 14. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Now, what does that mean? Falling asleep, you know, does that mean the guy who comes to church, sits in the third row, and about this long into Pastor Terry's sermon, he's got great rest going on. He's falling, that's not what that's talking about. Um, this is kind of a prophetic way of saying um, those who have died, you know, those, they're asleep in Jesus. Uh, now, the word falling asleep there, koimao, is used, it's the same word used when Jesus says that Lazarus is asleep. Remember when he calls him out of the grave? He'd been asleep for several days, in fact, in that case. But that's the same word, asleep. So we're talking about people who are die, had died and they're, um, they're, they died in Jesus. Verse 16, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. Now, I want to stop about for a second here and um, consider this. The Lord himself. He's not going to send an agent This is going to be the Lord himself, the one who hung on the cross. Wow. And I think what has come out of his mouth? He spoke the world into existence. Uh, The scriptures are full of times where he's spoken. Sometimes he's come out like a whisper, a whisper. And then this says, though, that the Lord is going to come out and there's going to be a loud command and the voice of an archangel, Michael, he's going to shout, and the trumpet of God is going to be blaring. Why all this fanfare? Why all this? Because the most magnificent victory has been accomplished in behalf of so many loved children. It's a remarkable moment. And, um, and I, think, I think that remarkable moment demands that kind of a wonderful shout and the fanfare. And there's going to be shouting going on. I, I have no idea what's going to be coming out of his mouth, but it's going to be shouted. I have some ideas about that. These are nothing more than opinions, daydreams. He could say, hey, <laughs> to wake us up and go, oh, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's going to be something different. 
I think I might hear something different than you because I might hear this. Terry. Stu. And you're gonna hear the voice of the Lord calling you. You know, we, we, we were joking because when we're in the grocery store, if you say, Mom, out loud in a grocery store, 47 women turn and look at you. <laughs> right? But when we're in a store with, Ra- with Rachel and her mother, she doesn't say, Mom. She says, Lisa. Isn't that kind of weird? She calls her mother Lisa. In the store, so that all the other moms don't pay attention. I, I don't possibly, Jesus is, I don't know what he's going to shout. He might say, come on. I got a feeling I'm going to feel like it's a personal call, though. Terry. I don't know, just, just, just thinking. For the Lord himself, and the dead in Christ will rise first. The dead in Christ are going to rise first. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. So, okay, so who are the dead in Christ? And remember, Paul's talking to these Thessalonian believers, and they're wondering about their loved ones, and he says, hey, your loved ones, these Christians who died, they're going to rise first. Now, this is where some people get confused this issue of this resurrection going on. And so I want to explain that Scripture speaks very clearly here that there are two resurrections, a first resurrection and a second resurrection. And the first resurrection is for those who are Christians, and they're going to be raised from the dead. The second resurrection will be for those who are not Christians, and they're going to be judged somewhat differently. Um, Christians are going to be judged at what's called the mercy seat or the, or the bema seat, and they'll be judged for their good works and rewarded. And um, non-Christians are going to be judged at an event called the Great White Throne Judgment. And um, you will not be there if you're a Christian. You will not be there. Only non-Christians will be there. And they'll be judged for their works, which will not be good enough. They will not be good enough. And when their name is not found written in the Lamb's Book of Life... They'll be punished eternally. They'll be separated from God. They'll be destined for a very, very real place called hell. And um, so that you do not want to be at the great wine throne judgment. And if you're saved, you won't be. And, and so here's what we're talking about in this first resurrection in, in the book of Revelation uh, 20, verse 6 says, Blessed and holy are those who have part in the first resurrection. If you're dead, this is the one you want to be in. Okay? The second death has no power over them. If you're part of the first resurrection, the second death has no power over you. So what does this mean? Here's, somebody said it like this, and I kind of like the way this sounds. You can be born once and die twice, or you can be born twice and die once. What does that mean? Okay, so you can be born once. You've all been born once. You know, you, you, your, your mother and you were somewhere and out you came and probably a doctor patted you on the tail and you cried and spoke your first. And so you were born once. You've all been born once. And, um, and if you've only been born once, you will die twice. You'll die a physical death. And then at some point you stand before God and you'll die a second spiritual eternal death. You die twice. The good news though is that if you're born twice, you only die once. So here's how that works. You know, you might say, how can you be born twice? And, and uh, you know, you've already been born once. We talked about that. Here's a story where Jesus is talking to Nicodemus in John 3, and he said, you know, 
that a person can be born a second time. This is, and, and, and he says, how can you do that? How, can you enter back into your mother's womb? The answer is no. You're born the second time spiritually. And so when you call on the name of Jesus, you're spiritually born. Your old life is gone. You're new. You're, you're, your sin is forgiven. You're transformed. You're made new. And, you know, you hear these, this saying, and uh, I hear this saying, you know, people say, you only live once, you know. And people say that right before they're going to do something really stupid, right? <laughs> they do. They do. You only live once. And <clears throat> I'm thinking, okay, well, I, as a Christian, it's, you could, we could say, you know, it's kind of corny. You, you only die once. That's the one that I want to shout. That's the one that I want to hold to. And, um, you know, okay, so first we have the return of Jesus. Christ is coming in. The second, the second thing, if you're taking notes, is this, too. We have the rapture. The living Christians are taken away. First Thessalonians 4.17. Let's continue on. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Okay, so after the dead, after the dead in Christ rise first, and if that happens during the time that you're a believer, a follower, you know, we who are still alive will be caught up caught up. The word there is harpazo. It's a Greek word. It means seized, snatched, rescued, pulled out. You know, by, pulled out by force. I, I, um, I remember when I was in junior high, my friend Scott Forbes and I decided to go, go to the movie theater on a Friday night. And uh, we lived up in Kent at the time and we were going to the Midway Theater. And this was in the early 70s to see Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Great movie. Great Western movie. And back then, if you wanted to see a movie, you went to a theater and you had to sit through dancing hot dogs and popcorn buckets and cartoons. There was no, you know, red box, no internet, none of that. So we, the, the theater, that was where you saw movies. They were crowded. And so we went on a Friday night and um, I remember working our way in and the place was packed. It was a very popular movie. And um, so we worked our way in, Scott and I did, and his brother was saving two seats for us. And I swear there was only those two seats left in the entire theater, except that there was two empty ones in front of us. So we get in, Scott and I, and his, we were junior high and his, his brother was high school. We thought the world of him. He was a you know, grown-up man. And we took our two seats. And just after we took our seats, the lights went dark and the movie starts. And then this couple comes in and they work their way across the road to sit in front of us and it was a um, I just remember the it was a date I think they were on a date and the, the woman was this little petite thing and this guy was like this huge giant <laughs> giant and Scott my close friend nice guy turns to me and he says nice and loud see I told you not to spit in that guy's seat <laughs> that's a friend for you <laughs> This great big guy stands up, <clears throat> turns around. What did you say? I mean, his voice was deep. <laughs> Scott's brother, Steve, grabbed both of us by the scruff of the neck, grabbed us and pulled us out of the aisle and pulled us out of the theater. I think he saved our lives. <laughs> he, he harpazoed us out of that room. He snatched us out. That's what it's going to be like, this perilous situation and plucked out. By force, rescue. <laughs> You'll be rescued. There are generally four different beliefs about um, 
about this rapture, how it's going to happen, when it's going to happen. And people use these fancy words, um, pre, mid, post, pan. And what they're saying is pre-tribulation, they'll be, we'll be pulled out before the, tr- the great tribulation that's described in the book of Revelation. Mid-trib, the middle of the tribulation, but before the really bad stuff happens in the, in the second half of that seven-year period. Post-trib, which believes it's afterwards. And then pan-trib, people, I don't know, it's just going to pan out in the end. But so, <laughs> there's four different beliefs. But I personally believe... <laughs> I personally believe that God is going to pull us out pre-tribulation. That's my personal belief. For this verse, uh, for the reason of this verse, and lots of other reasons, I just believe that it's in the Lord's nature. I believe it's demonstrated over and over in Scripture where the Lord's anointed were never left. He was always preserving them, and there's lots of examples of that. And Jesus describes it this way, and this is, kind of, this is pretty intense. So, you know, it's, it's, but it's worth paying careful attention to because this is how Jesus says it's going to happen. We see this in Matthew 24, starting in verse 39. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. He's basically saying, are you ready? Verse 40. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill. One will be taken and the other left. Now, don't miss the application of this. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. You know, and if you're a believer, this is really, really serious stuff to us that he's, he's returning, there's going to be a trumpet that's going to sound and that we're supposed to be ready because it could happen at any time. And when it does, it could mean all kinds of things. It could mean something like this, that two people are sitting together at a computer and one's going to go. That... You could have a whole family sitting at a dinner table and three of them could go and two could be left at the table. That we could be sitting at a church service like this and a lot of people could all of a sudden go flying out of here and some could be left behind. Um, I'm, I want to show you some pictures. Um, this is a, a piece of artwork. This is a print that was hanging in Lisa's grandmother's kitchen for years and years and years. And when she died, somehow it came to us and um, we've hung on to it. And it's an interesting picture of the moment of the rapture um, of artwork. And um, it's, it was printed back in the 40s. And I don't hold to all of the theology that's in the picture, but it's interesting and amusing to look at at, at some levels. And so I thought we'd just kind of enjoy that for a minute. So here's the overall picture. Um, and this kind of hard to see. You see Jesus is showing up there, and you see all these people that are now dressed in white, and up they go. And you can kind of see, um, hard to see the detail. We'll do some close-ups here. It's a nice country scene. There's lots going on here. Um, but you get the overall picture. This is the moment of the rapture. Okay, the next one shows a close-up of the graveyard. And um, Jesus is up off to the right of the picture on this screen. And you see a car has crashed, and the driver has come out. Apparently it was a woman driving the car. And, but she's not going to be charged with this crash because there was nobody driving at the moment that it crashed. Notice the graveyard. There's a lot of people coming out, but there's still a lot of gravestones that nobody's coming out of. And um, you can see there's a guy walking down the street and people sweeping their porch and working in the field and they're oblivious to what's going on. Interesting. Some, some are going, some are not. Okay, next picture. This is not doctrine. This is just artwork, by the way. Okay, this is the other side of the picture. And this one kind of made me chuckle because this is the mentality of many people, probably back in the 40s more than it is today. You can't maybe read what's on the buildings from where you sit, but in the upper part, 
um, there's a building that says pool hall, and nobody's coming out of there. <laughs> now, yesterday, I was down here testing these slides, and I was talking with my son, Ben, and I said, do you see the pool hall? Nobody's coming out of there. And he said, what's a pool hall? And I want to say, congratulate you, Lisa, that your son is that innocent. <laughs> and then there's another building up behind. It says whiskey in big letters on it. Nobody's coming out of there. Notably, there's a big building on the right that says theater, and nobody's coming out of there. So if I, it had been Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, apparently, according to the theology of 1942... Um, that wouldn't have been good for me. I don't hold to that necessarily, but it's interesting. And then you can't see this unless you get up here, but the train on the right, the engine number on the locomotive is 666, so it's apparently... <laughs> it's apparently a train to hell. And, but you can see a couple of people in the end of the train just make it out barely. So... Um, <laughs> it's interesting artwork. Okay, and then now, the, the, but here's the scariest part of this whole picture. This is the scary part. Go ahead. The close up of the church. Church is let out, and a whole lot of people are still at church. That's kind of scary to think that through. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so what's the point? This isn't doctrine, it's just interesting artwork from 1942. The point, though, is for us to be ready. To be ready. To be prepared to be doing the work of the Lord, to be sold out for him, not with half-hearted, lukewarm Christianity, but to be ready. Maranatha, the Lord is coming. And this isn't just me. These are the words of Jesus I want to read to you in Revelation 16, verse 15. He says, Behold, I come like a thief. Blessed is he who stays awake and keeps his clothes with him so that he may not go naked and be shamefully Exposed. Now, I don't think you need to worry about being in the shower at the moment. I don't think that's what this is talking about. I think Jesus is talking about righteousness and, and being, being ready um, for us. But anyway, okay, so we have the return of Christ, first point. Second point was the rapture, and the third one is the reunion. Christians will be with God forever. Verse 17, after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds. What are we going to do there? To meet the Lord in the air. Can you imagine that? Face to face with the one who chose, was thinking about you when he went onto that cross. We're going to meet him in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. I want to let this sink in just for a minute. Because when this happens, when we're with the Lord, you know, I'll talk more about this next week. But here's what this kind of means. No more pain. No more sin. No more heartache, no more brokenness, no more divorce, no more sickness, no more disease, no, no more poverty, no more starving children, no more loneliness, no more cancer. Gone. We're talking about being with the Lord forever. And if there's any sort of tear, Scripture says he's going to wipe them away. He's going to wipe them away. And no wonder these people said Maranatha to each other. They had this picture, therefore, encourage each other with these words, Maranatha, the Lord's coming back. So what should we be doing if we are living in the end times? Um, and, uh, you know, I, th I think there's a few people who think that what we should do is we should be digging bunkers, storing up food, lots of ammunition, so that if he comes back and people try to get my food, we can shoot them. 
If he comes back, I'm not going to be there to pull the trigger, first off. So no, I'm not suggesting that you do that. Now, I don't have any trouble with you preparing yourself from, for disaster. I think that's wise. I think that's prudent. I do it. I have a power generator in case. Hasn't, haven't needed to use it very much, but in case, I'm ready. I want to take care of my family. I mean, I have more than today's food in the refrigerator. I believe in those kinds of things. I'm, I'm not suggesting you shouldn't be prepared for the unexpected, but I'm saying the preparation, that kind of preparation for the second return of Christ is useless. You won't be here to execute any of that stuff if you know the Lord. And if you are here, those things won't help you. They won't save you. Here's what scripture says to do. It says we should encourage these others with these, each other with these words. He's coming back. He's coming back. We should live with this urgency to share this good news. And there are reasons why we don't say Maranatha or why we don't tell, talk to each other in these terms. I mean, to the unsaved, it doesn't make sense to them. If you go up to an unsaved person and say, hey, Maranatha, <laughs> you know what they're going to say? They're gonna, they may not say it. They may be nice to you. They're going to think you're a weirdo. They're going to think you're some kind of fanatic. And okay, um, if you're a Christian, though, sometimes we can react that same way. We do. If somebody comes to you and says, hey, God's coming, you can say, yeah, praise the Lord. <laughs> and, you know, walk away thinking, nutcase. Um, and, you know, there, because there's a Christian, there's a culture even within the body of Christ where we're really not too sure if we want him to return because sometimes we're just happy right where we are. And I think, you know, I just got to keep my heart tender before the Lord. I don't want to be somebody who only needs, who only wants Jesus when I'm in personal pain. He's coming back. And that's really good news. It's really good news. So what's the application? What do we do with all that? Because, you know, for a Christian, what do we do? I mean, we've got bills to pay. We've got to get the kids to school. We've got the activities of life. So what do we do with all that? So I'm going to close this with a chunk of scripture in 1 Corinthians 15. And here's Paul talking about something that's a good application. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 51 to 58. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. How fast is that going to happen? 52. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. Those are two different things that are going to happen. In other words, when he returns... The people in the grave are going to exchange their crummy body, whatever's left of it, if anything, for something that won't decay. And you and I will exchange our mortal bodies also for something that won't decay, for something that's more immortal. Verse 54. The saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? And now it's here where it turns to application. 57. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory, not through our own religious efforts, not through our own good works, not by trying to be good enough and stop doing bad things, through our Lord Jesus Christ, because it's all about him, it's for his glory. So what do we do with this? Verse 58. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And what is that? What is our work to the Lord? 
is to serve him, is to praise him, is to worship him, is to give to him, it's to tell about him, it's to live with intensity, it's to share his love. If Jesus was going to come back on Tuesday, how would you live today? I've heard pastors say that so many times, but it's a great question. If he was coming back this week, how would you live today? Because he is returning. Maranatha, he's coming back. I think you'd live to worship him. You'd, you'd live righteously. You'd, you'd share your faith with people. You'd be serious about your commitment to the Lord because what becomes more common when we forget the good news is, is, is this risk. We, the, what, what we risk is to become lukewarm, apathetic, worldly, church-going people. And the cure for that is to remember Maranatha. The Lord is coming back. So I say to you, I look you in the eyes, if I could look every one of you in the eyes, Maranatha, the Lord is coming back. Thank you. Thank you for that. We can live a life that won't count in eternity, or we can live for the Lord today. Maranatha, our Lord is coming. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for your presence and your goodness, for the promises in the Old Testament that predicted your first coming, and five times that many predictions about your second return for your church and then later when you come back with your church. Lord, forgive us when we tricked into being caught up in things that really don't matter, the things that don't last. And forgive us, Lord, when we are not longing for your return and even sometimes for wanting you to delay it. It's so easy to get caught there, Lord, and maybe it's more common than not. I don't know. And while we're praying for those of you in this room who would say, you know, I have really been a little bit passive about this and I, I just know that I need to and I want to serve him maybe a little more fully for his glory. Um, you can just say that to the Lord right now. Say, Lord, I know. Thank you for reminding me. Thank you for your tenderness about saying this to me. Father, thank you for people who really want to know you and serve you. I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit would take these words from Scripture and seal them down deep within our hearts. I pray, Lord, that we would know, that we would believe, that we would live this truth, that you're coming back for your church. God, Give us an intensity to share your love with grace. Give us a desire, Lord, to worship you, to leverage everything we have for your kingdom, to live fully devoted to you, to serve you, Lord, to be ready for your soon return, to be encouraged. Then Maranatha, Lord, that you're coming back. And Lord, I know while we're praying, there could be some right now who there's something going on inside and they're just not really too sure what it is. But there's some tension and the thoughts could be going in their minds right now. Man, if this stuff is true, I'm really not ready. And if Jesus returned right now, I'm not too sure if that trumpet sounded, I'd really be ready. I just remember, God, my own fears along that. Have I been good enough? Am, am I too bad? God, God wouldn't save me. But scripture is really clear that we on our own can never, ever be good enough. So, Lord, that's why the gospel is all about you, because you did something for us through Jesus that we could never do for ourselves. We thank you, Lord, that he was the lamb, that he did completely what was needed to save us. Anybody who calls on your name, Scripture says, will be saved. And I just would say to anyone listening right now who pray, as we pray, that you know you've been born once, you've never been born a second time. Make that decision right now. Make that decision right now to be born a second time, to be spiritually born by the Lord, to call on the name of Jesus. 
For those people in this room or who are listening to this who would say, you know what, I don't know where I stand with God today, but I want to turn from my sins. I want to turn to Jesus. I want to give my life to him. When you do, every sin you have ever committed will be transformed and you're about to become a brand new person in a moment you're a new creation. And you say, if you say, yes, that's me. While eyes are closed, I just want to pray with you in in prayer and agreement. I'm not going to call you out, but just let me see your hand. Just let me agree with you in prayer. If you just want to settle this issue with the Lord, praise your name, God. I see that. Praise your name. Yes, you too. Three, uh, three. I see those names, those, those hands. Any others I missed? I saw that. Praise your name, Lord. God, you see these decisions, these very clear people have said, I want to be right with God. Lord, your word promises that all who call on the name of Jesus will be saved. We, we claim that promise for us, those of us who have called on your name, specifically those three who raised their hands today. We thank you for it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.